0: Uh, you you may know this, you probably know this, a lot of you are much smarter than I am, but uh, I was reading uh, just a couple weeks ago thinking about uh, uh, trees, if you look outside we've got a lot of big trees on the property, a lot of really pretty big ones, but uh, you may know that in any tree that you see, what you see above the ground, there's actually at least that much under the ground. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that it goes straight down or whatever it is, but the root system of a tree often is equal to what you see above the ground. In fact, uh, I was reading this week that a, a live oak, the, the bulb at the top, that oftentimes the root system is five to seven times as wide as that bulb is at the top. And so whenever you see a tree and you see these great big huge trees out here and you look at them, there's actually a lot more Than meets the eye, a lot more than you can actually see. That there's so much more under there. And it makes sense if you think about it. If it's a 50 or 60 or 70 foot tall tree out there, it needs to have a long and strong foundation to hold it in place. Especially with the wind that we've had like this morning and last night. If it's not there, it comes along and it's going to knock those over. But the truth is, there's a whole lot more to what we just see as we see these trees as we walk around each day, and we don't even consider sometimes. And so today we're, we're going to talk about the temptation of Jesus. And I was struck as I was spending time looking at this and thinking about it this week, there is so much more than kind of meets the eye when you just read this right through at the beginning. There's a lot of things that God's saying and doing and teaching us. There's a lot of strands that he's taking and pulling together that have been hinted out all throughout the Old Testament and all the Bible until Jesus comes and they're all coming together in him. And God's doing a great work here even in this moment as Jesus is led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And so today what we're going to do is as I was thinking about this and there is more than meets the eye and there's a lot of layers and a lot of things here uh about Thursday afternoon this became two sermons. It was either uh the temptation of Jesus it's going to be we're going to be here for like an hour and a half or I'm going to break it and then we're going to come back to it next week. And so I'm going to don't worry I'm going to break it in half. We're not going to just do all of it today, but there's so much here. And so what I want us to do as we think about it today, you know, we're in this series looking at the life of Jesus chronologically kind of working through. We're still very early in Jesus's life at the very beginning of his public ministry. Uh, He's just been introduced and baptized and John the Baptist points to him. And then we're going to look at his temptation today. And the first thing I want us to do today in the first half of this is just to think first big picture of the nature of temptation. I want us just to think about that a little bit together. And then we're going to look at Jesus and the way he resists temptation here and what God is teaching us and showing us what Jesus is doing on our behalf. And then next week we're going to come back and kind of put those two together and practically how do we grow in victory over temptation in our life day in and day out, putting those together. And So that's where we're going this week next week but this week as we start let's just start with the picture or the idea uh the big idea of the nature of temptation and so if you you look in matthew chapter 4 that's where we're going to be this morning uh in verse 1 it says then jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil um if you read in uh right here in matthew if you look right above that At the end of chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. Chronologically, they go together. He's baptized. Uh, If you're reading uh, Luke's Gospel, he talks about how, um, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And they go right together. Here's Jesus being announced. Uh, He's now here. John the Baptist is pointing to him. His baptism. The sky is open. God says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased And then immediately, the next thing it tells us is the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And as we think about the nature of temptation, I want to think about it in a couple ways. And the first, I just want to pose this question to you. I want you to think about this for just a second. Baptism filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately temptation. And what is the connection there of being filled with the Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit, to be seeking God, and temptation coming almost immediately? And I think there's a, there's a principle that that happens a lot of times in our lives in great big ways. And not just as we're talking about Jesus here, but we too feel that at different times. And so I want us just to think for a second about temptation and what we mean and, and what we're talking about. You know, last week, uh, or the last two weeks, what we've done in this series is we've just started chronologically about Jesus. We started in John chapter 1. And at the very beginning of John chapter 1, it's telling us who Jesus is. He is God. He is eternal. Uh, He is the light that is now shining in the darkness. He's come in and it's telling us all these great big huge things about who Jesus is. That he has always existed. And that he's he's coming in and now he is the embodiment of truth that we're seeing. And then then last week we looked at John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. He's going to remake us. He's going to make us new. He's going to save us from our sins. And so we looked at who Jesus is. And what he's come to do. And this idea that he's going to save us from our sin. And if we're going to think through temptation and the way it connects to sin. And what that looks like and how all that goes together. I want us just to think for a second about just sin in general. I say this a lot here. If you've been around, I say sin is ignoring God in the world he created. Or or rebelling against God in the world he created. Sin is, is taking God's rightful place and putting something else in it. And ignoring him in the world he created And temptation goes right with that. The temptation is to continue to ignore God and the world he created. Continue to find our identity and our joy and our hope from things other than what God has done for us and who he is. And those temptations are continually before us. right? The the temptation to sin, to ignore God, to put ourselves first. God summarizes the law, love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the way Jesus summarizes all of the laws of God. And we are tempted continually to not do that. To not love God and love people and to put ourselves first. And those temptations come up at different times. And we need to be rescued. We need someone to save us. We need the truth, the light, the logos, Jesus, that comes in to shine a light to show us the truth. Because in us, in our sinfulness we easily can go back to that. We can easily operate that way. In fact, the Bible says we're born into sin, that we're born sinful, that we're born with the the default of seeing ourselves as the center of the world rather than God the center of the world. Or the Bible would say it this way, that we're, we're spiritually dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 says. And we're born that way. We're born into that. And so what we want to do in our lives is we want to make ourselves the center of all things. And we're constantly uh, tempted to do so. And I would say the temptation comes, there's temptation even before you're a Christian. Like even before God has come into your life and begins to make you new and making you fully aware of these things. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. He says that we're made in God's image. And because we're made in God's image, our conscience bears witness about who God is. And even if we're not in a relationship with Him, even if we're not uh, acknowledging Him, our conscience bears witness about certain things. And so we can be tempted to sin and knowing that we should not even before we're a believer. God's common grace in our life, that we're made in His image, that He's given us this conscience, that we can know that some things are right and some things are wrong. And we may not fully grasp all of that, but our conscience does bear witness in those things. And there's a warning in the Bible that your conscience bears witness. But as you continue to ignore your conscience, as you continue to go deeper into sin, it's almost like uh, when you're in a really dark place and your eyes start to acclimate to it. And now suddenly you can see a little better. And what happens is your conscience, as you continue to ignore it, you kind of get used to the darkness. And you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And you start to move the line of what your conscience bears witness about. And what God says in Romans chapter 1 is that when you continue to do that, at some point He goes, okay, have at it. So he gives us over to a reprobate mind and those that are that's not a believer, but they continue to go against their conscience and He says, fine, have at it. That's a scary thing to think about that we can kind of move that line. I think we've seen that in our culture. We continue to do that. Things that used to be right and wrong, we can move it over here and over here, and we keep doing so. But my point there is just this, that even before you're a believer, your conscience bears witness that you have temptation in front of you, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're wrestling with those uh, different things in your life. There are absolutes that we hold to. Uh, There are things that we would say are absolutely true uh, for all cultures, all times. Uh, Maybe those are getting smaller what we would say they are, but there are things that we hold to. That is because we are made in God's image. But I want us to think about the connection for just a second as a Christian that is now being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that you go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, right? Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy has caused you to become alive in Jesus, right? And so you're saved by what Christ does. The Spirit comes in. He opens your eyes to show you that you're sinful, that you need a Savior. God is working. He's illuminating your heart and your mind to see your great need for Him. And as you confess faith, the Spirit comes in in fullness. we become a believer, and God now dwells in us and with us and he never leaves us or forsakes us and he's teaching us and he's showing us and so as that starts to happen i think there's more temptation in some ways now i want to be careful in how we say that god doesn't tempt us in fact here it says then jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil god's not the one tempting but the spirit is allowing him to come into this place to be tempted So God is good in every way and He does not tempt us with evil, but He will allow certain things in our life. But I want you to think about the connection of being filled with the Spirit and then these temptations that often come right with it. See, as the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to reveal truth, uh, like Jesus, as it says in John 1, is the light that's shining into the darkness and the Spirit comes in and kind of shines into the the dark parts of your heart. Maybe the things that you had come become comfortable with ignoring your conscience you're no longer comfortable with and suddenly you start to see your sinfulness and you start to see the holiness of God and as that happens and as it continues to happen and you're alerted to it and you're more aware of your sins suddenly you're faced with temptation at every turn in the sense of this I'm now aware of how sinful I am And I'm aware of the truth and things that maybe I was just ignoring or I've become comfortable with, I'm no longer comfortable with. And I'm faced over and over these choices to either repent and believe or to continue in my sin. And so suddenly when we start to walk by the spirit and we're really seeking God, it's like we're suddenly hypersensitive to all these things around us. And it's not because God is tempting us. It's because he loves us and he's making us new and he's showing us these things. And as he's showing us our sinfulness, he's pointing us to our forgiveness that is found in Jesus. But we are faced over and over with these opportunities to make choices. And so what happens when we become a believer? Paul will talk about it this way in the epistles, that we're at war with our flesh. Our flesh being our old sinful nature, right? When you read the Bible, there's a couple ways it talks about the flesh. But in in certain contexts, it's talking about your flesh being your old nature, the way in which you used to live. The old habits that you accumulated before you were a Christian or the things that you would do or how you would deal with stress or whatever it is that's going on in your life. And then you become a believer. And God starts to shine the light into you and you become new and you go, I'm not going to do these things anymore. But then when stress comes, there's this pull to go back to the way I used to do it. A temptation. To ignore God and do it myself. And so sometimes, as we're growing, we feel those more fully because we're seeing all of it now. And they go together in a lot of ways. As we're walking more by the Spirit, we see more opportunities to go back to the way that we used to live or the way we used to do things. But there's also another element to this. You'll notice here it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Bible's very clear on this that there's a lot more to this life than what we can see. That there are angels and demons. There is a war going on all around us. There are very real things happening and there's very real attacks coming at you each day. And so we want to have a healthy balance of what that means. I don't say that to scare you. It's not to be kind of like this, oh, there's a scary element out there. Jesus says that you are His that you don't have to fear, that He never leaves you, He never forsakes you, that He is with you in all things, but you also need to have your eyes open to the reality of the way the world is. And so it's not to be afraid of those things, but it's to be aware that attacks do come. And so if you begin to be in uh, a new creation in the Spirit, and we're seeking to walk that out and to obey God and to trust Him in all things, and then there's a temptation to go back to the way I used to do things. Now, part of that might be my flesh, part of that might be my old habits, part of that might be ingrained in the way that I used to think, and it's hard to break some of those things, and part of that may be attacks from the enemy. I want you to think about that. Demonic activity, attacks from supernatural realm, can't read your mind, but what they can do is observe. They can observe who you are and the way you respond. So if if you have a problem with anger and the way in your life that you've dealt with difficult situations with people, is you attack. If somebody gets in your face, you go right back at them. You don't take anything from anyone and you go right back at them every time. And then you become a believer. And the Spirit comes in. And God starts to go, I have forgiven you completely and totally. And I am gracious to you when you are unlovely. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, I came and I laid down my life for you. And so you need to forgive people in the way that I've forgiven you. And then somebody comes at you. And your old habit was, I'm going to go right back at them. And there's a temptation to continue to do it that way because that's the way you've always done it. But the Spirit begins to come in and make you new and change that and He's showing you, where's the attack of the enemy going to come? Don't take that from them. You're right. You're right to be angry. You're right to let them have it. And it plays back into your old way of thinking, your old spiritual or your old flesh. And so you have those things coming together. And we face that every day, all the time. It's all around us. We are tempted to sin by our old way of thinking, by our flesh, by old habits, but also by attacks from the enemy. And it's important that we think about those things and we understand the fullness of of what's going on around us. But God is changing us and He's showing us and He's remaking us. So that's just kind of an introduction, big picture thinking about the nature of temptation. Now I want us to look at what Jesus is doing and how He's resisting temptation and what He's doing for us and what God's teaching through this. And this is where we start to get underground to the the foundational things that go way beyond what we can just see. And so when we start to look at what happens here, right? then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came and said to him, and I'm going to pause there for just a second. And I want to just point out again to you that the Holy Spirit leads him to this. God's not tempting, but he's allowing this to happen. Nothing's outside of his sovereignty. He is in control and he is working, but he's allowing this to take place. And he leads him out for this test in some ways. And part of what God is doing and teaching us as we begin to read this early in Jesus' life, and we're looking through all of this, and what Jesus has come to do is Jesus is now coming to undo our sin. We talked about this last week to save us from our sin, the the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that He takes the punishment we deserve, but then He also lives this life perfectly that we can now have His righteousness. It's the two sides of the coin. He doesn't just save us from sin. He also gives us His righteousness. And so here we begin to see Jesus living out that perfect righteousness. It starts with His baptism. He's obedient I'm going to do these things that all righteousness can take place. We talked about that last week. And now all of a sudden he's let out and he begins to undo and defeat the power of sin and temptation. And he's showing us what it looks like. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Through one man sin entered the world and so all men sin and spread, it's sin spreads to all. Talking about Adam. We're all in the line of Adam. Sin comes in and spreads to all. But then it says, And then through one man comes righteousness. And the opportunity for all of us to be righteous. And it's talking about Jesus. He's the second Adam who's come to undo the work of Adam. He's come to show us what it looks like to love God and love people perfectly in all things. And so if you read closely, if you look, it goes from baptism to temptation. But if you read uh, in Luke's gospel, Luke goes baptism, Jesus is genealogy, temptation. And I think what he's doing in there, what Luke is alerting you to is that Jesus is the second Adam. He's the true and better Adam that's coming. He's the one that God promised Eve through your seed is coming one who will crush the serpent. And he's showing you this. He's putting that in there in Luke's gospel. It's kind of a a, a narrative thing that he's doing. He's alerting you to that and he's pointing to it. And Jesus is the true and better Adam that's coming to undo the sinful work of man. All of us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus steps in. And if you look at the first uh, temptation, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry of fasting. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And it hearkens us back to the same tempter, to Adam and Eve in the garden. And God says you can have all of this, but just don't eat of that one tree. And He comes along and says, ah, look at this. You can be like God. And they're tempted. And what do they do? They go, ah, looks pretty good. Maybe there's something God isn't telling us. And maybe we'll go ahead and we'll try that ourselves. And so they do. And sin enters the world. And they ignore God. But what does Jesus do? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust the word of God in all things. And he's showing us what it looks like to trust him. It's a very real temptation. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He's saying, you can do this. You can turn these stones to bread. You can do this right now. And he says, no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust Him in all circumstances. And He starts to show us what it looks like to undo the work of the first Adam. To undo the work of our sinful nature when we don't trust God. And He shows us how to do it perfectly and fully. And it goes back to everything we were talking about last week. Jesus doesn't just save us from sin. He gives us His righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God is available to you through Jesus for all who believe in Him. Because the next thing he says is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You are justified, you are made righteous by what Jesus does because He's undone the work. Because He comes and He's not just the sacrifice for our sins. He is the perfect example of what it looks like to trust God in everything. And so He does. And He's living that out. And He's undoing the work of Adam. And our justification by what Christ has accomplished. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus is doing. I think that's why Luke puts that in there. Do you see? He's alerting you. Do you see that this this is the one that's been promised? This is the one that's undoing those things that's come to save us. But there's another layer there. It's not just that Jesus is the true and better Adam that's undoing the work of man and what we've done. He's also coming to be the true and greater Israel. Think about where Israel had failed, right? God called Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you into this great nation. I'm going to bring you into these people and you're going to be a light to the world. You're going to bless the world. You're going to show the world what I'm like. It was the charge of Israel. You're going to keep my commands and you're going to show the world. And so he saves them from slavery and he brings them out and they cross through the Red Sea and he brings them together and he gives them his law and then what happens? You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. We don't have any food. That's right after they cross the Red Sea. It's like the first thing. They literally just saw God part the sea and bring him through and then they're like, you brought us out to the desert to die. You're not going to care for us. And I want you to notice what God's doing. There's no accidents in any of this. Right? The genealogy there that points us to Adam, but then I want you to look, they take him out for 40 days and for 40 nights. How long did they wander in the wilderness? For 40 days or for 40 years? And you see these connections that he's making and the first thing they do is they grumble and complain and they say you haven't taken care of us and we've let us out here to die and the first temptation is are you hungry you can turn these stones to bread and Jesus says no man shall not live by bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of God and he actually quotes from Deuteronomy and he's alerting you to all of this where Israel has failed I'm going to succeed Where Adam failed, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to do all of it perfectly and fully and completely. This is the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan picks it up, starts quoting scripture. I'll come back to that next week. he starts to say these things, taking them out of context and twisting them just a little bit to make it be what he wants it to be. And he tempts them with, you can throw yourself down and God will take care of you and He will provide for you. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, which Adam and Eve did. God says not to do this, but we don't know for sure, so we'll go ahead and try it out. Or what Israel did repeatedly, God would tell them, don't intermarry, don't do these things, trust me, follow me. And they would continue to test them over and over. But Jesus undoes both and he says, no, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. I'm going to trust God in all circumstances. But then if you look closely at the third one, it's probably the most direct and poignant as it pertains to Israel and what we're going to see unfolding in the life of Jesus as we work our way through the Gospels. As Satan comes to him, Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, this verse 8, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the temptation there is I will give you all the kingdoms of the world and there's a shortcut here Just bow down and worship me and you can have all of it. And I think the heart of the temptation of what uh, Satan is tempting him with at the beginning is here's a shortcut. You don't have to go through all the sacrifice. You don't have to go through all the hard stuff. You just bow down and worship me and you get it all now. You get every uh, nation and I'll give it all to you and you can rule and reign and we can forego all that suffering business. Israel was expecting a triumphant Messiah to come and overthrow governments and set up their rule and reign right then and there on the earth. And all along the way, Jesus will say, no, that is not why I've come. I've not come just to do that, because what that would do is you would still be in your sin. Your sin would not be dealt with. No one would have taken the wrath that you deserve. You would still be hopelessly lost in your sin. And yes, that would have been much easier for Jesus. It would have been a shortcut around all of it, but it would have left us in our sin and nothing would have been fixed. And he's going to have to resist this his entire life with all the people of Israel. We want to make you king. Actually, several times it's going to come and say they came to physically go and make him king and he retreated. Or later on, Peter will say to him, you will never die, Lord. And he turns and he says, get behind me, Satan. You want me to take the shortcut around this and not lay lay my life down? That's not what I'm doing. And so he resists the temptation to take the shortcut, to go around the suffering, which would leave us hopelessly in our sin. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he resists the temptation at every turn. He says, you shall love the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so I want us to think about practically helpful how we resist temptation. And there's a lot here about the way Jesus prepares and the way he answers and the way he sees it. And we'll come back to that next week because there's a lot to it. I don't want to run through that because there's a lot there. But as we think about what Jesus is doing right here, is he is the true and better Adam. And he is the true and better Israel. And what God's doing is he's taking these strands that run throughout the Bible and it's like he's pulling each one of them and he's bringing them right to Jesus. What I said I'm going to do uh, from the seed of Eve, it's right here. Do you see him undoing the work of Adam and Eve? So I'm going to bless the world through the seed of Abraham. It was never about the nation, although God blesses the world through the nation of Israel throughout that but it was ultimately always about Jesus. And it's starting to bring all those strands and point them at Him. And He's starting to show us what that looks like. And so we end today, we'll come back and bring those together, but there's two things I want you to think about as we end today. As we think about temptation and what Jesus does for us and His obedience for us. And we say this often, but first it means that He is tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. He's undoing the work of Adam. He's undoing the work of you and me who blow it over and over again. He trusts God completely in every situation. When the temptation is, you're hungry, you can do this. He says, no, no, I'm going to trust God in this situation right where I am. And he shows us what it looks like in his obedience. And he always resists. And he resists completely and totally. And so when you think about Jesus being tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, would you please consider that he has been tempted to the fullest, more than you and I? See, when we are tempted to sin, oftentimes we give in. And it's much harder to continue to resist, to continue to trust God perfectly and fully in everything. It's easier just to give up. I'm done. And so we do, oftentimes, but Jesus does not, ever. And so when you're going, this is so hard, and I'm not sure how to do this, and I want to just give up, Jesus is going, I've been there. And I did it completely and totally and fully that you could have my righteousness, and now you are united with me, you rest in me. You trust me in this. There's nothing that you've been tempted with or in that I haven't already been there and defeated it. But the question often comes. I've heard a lot of people ask this, and maybe you've thought this. They say he's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. And then you go, yeah, but what about all the times I blow it? And the shame and the guilt and the heartache and the struggle that comes when I know I've blown it. And I'm made aware of it and I feel that in the weight of my sin and my struggle. And the answer to that, dear friends, is the cross. The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. So when he went to the cross and he took on the sins of the world, of all those that would put their faith in him, he knew the shame and the guilt and the heartache and the heartbreak and all of it that comes with it, and he knew every bit of it. And he willingly did so to pay for your sin and mine. And so not only is he tempted in every way, he knows all of it. He knows the struggles, he knows the failures, he knows every bit of what you've gone through. That's why in Hebrews it says we have a faithful high priest who's been tempted in every way. And we can look to him. And so he's been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. But then the last thing I want you to think about is Satan comes and he tempts him. He says there's a shortcut around this. If you would just worship me, you can have all of the, the kingdoms of the world right now and you don't have to go through that uh, sacrifice. There's an end around here. It'll be easier. Jesus will be tempted with the same thing again. He'll revisit the temptation the night before he would die in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes out to the garden and he's praying and he's buckled over And as he prays, he's sweating drops of blood as he's seeing what is coming. The cup of God's wrath about to be poured out on him for the sins of the world. And he says, if there's another way, if there is an end around here, this would be the time to let me know as he cries out to the Father. And then he gets up and he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he walks straight into it. And so do you see? That in Jesus resisting the temptation, he willfully chooses to save you and me. That in his resisting, he did what we could never do for us, and he does it perfectly to the end. And so Paul says now that righteousness, that one that did all of it, is available to you by faith through what Jesus has completed. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. God has done what we could never do for us, and we get to rest in that. And so we'll take that next week. That's the theological ground we stand on. And then practically think about how that works out in dealing with temptation in our life. And looking back to what Jesus has done and trusting Him in all things. And there's things He shows us here about how to live that out, and we'll come back to that next week. But let's pray. God, we thank You for the glorious good news. That you have done what we could never do for us. That you willfully chose to lay down your life. That you resisted all temptation. You resisted the temptation to leave us in our sin. That you love uh, us so much, but you love the glory of the Father. That you show us exactly what you're like. That you're perfectly just, but you're perfectly gracious. And they come together in fullness in what you've done for us on the cross. And so for that, we just simply say thank you. We pray that you would make that more real in our lives today. That you would continue to transform us from one degree of glory to another. Teach us to trust you in all circumstances and always. And be for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. At this time we're going to move toward the communion table and we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings.